Dear congregation, you and I are always prone to take life and all its blessings for granted. Even God's people are prone to forget the hand that feeds them. It is very seldom that we really realize with gratitude every thing we receive above hell is the mercy of God. I told you once of a man I met who thanked the Lord for an ice cube on his lips. That doesn't happen often. But even when it does happen, too often we still don't realize the covenantal fatherly hand in Christ that lies behind even our most mundane blessings. We need great grace to realize that God is the giver of life, the increaser of life, the sustainer of life, and the protector of life in Christ to his people. So that everything they receive above hell, above death, is the hand of God's right hand of mercy coming to them in Jesus Christ. Well, our text tonight sheds some light upon this, and may God bless it to us. The words of our text you can find in Genesis 9, 1 through 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. The hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Well, our theme tonight, then, is God's covenant blessings upon daily life. God's covenant blessings upon daily life. And we will see that in three thoughts. First, life increased. Second, life sustained. And third, life protected. God's covenant blessings Upon daily life, life increased, life sustained, life 
protected. Verse 1 of chapter 9, And God blessed Noah. Now, those are, those are beautiful words. You remember how chapter 8 began. And God remembered Noah. And then we saw in a subsequent sermon, Noah remembered God. And now God in turn responds to Noah and post-flood blesses him. Now, the word blessing is like the word grace or faith or hope or other common words we use often taken for granted. Often we don't stop to think what we mean, do we? When we say, well, I was blessed by that sermon, or someone had a blessing. Do we mean that God spoke to us in a special way, or that we felt divine benediction? Or do we simply mean that we are truly happy? That's what the word blessed means too. Does it mean that we feel the holiness of God, that we could truly worship Him? What do we mean when we say, I am blessed? Well, I spent a couple hours this week reading everything the Oxford Dictionary has to say about this word and studying this word, and it just amazed me that I never realized this before, that the actual root of the word blessed means, according to the Oxford Dictionary, to make sacred or holy with blood. That's an amazing thing. The worshiper of God is blessed to be consecrated to God through a way of blood. We are made holy through sacrificial blood. And that produces within us the blessing of felt consecration. So that in turn, multiplied blessings in a variety of forms promote our genuine happiness. What a confirmation this very word is, that there's only true joy in life through worshiping God. And this is what Noah experiences. When Noah and his family honor God with their sacrifices and show their love to him, God honors Noah and shows his love to them by setting them apart through sacrificial blood and consecrating them to God himself. And therefore, the Bible says, God blessed Noah and his sons. Now, what does this mean to us today? Well, I think it means this, that God shows us here that when we come to God in his appointed way, through the blood of Jesus Christ, believingly, penitently, as Noah did at the end of chapter 8, trusting alone in Jesus Christ, God graciously comes to us at the same time. In fact, the very grace to come to him is a grace. He comes to us in the way of His promise with favor and with blessing so that we may be consecrated to Him. God is by very nature a blessing God, a covenant-keeping God. It's His normal way to act in covenant with His people. And by acting in covenant with His people, He blesses them.
So God delights to bless. God delights in grace. And when this new humanity emerges from the ark and the second world is about to begin, we read when God opens his mouth, he says, God bless them. Noah and his sons and his family are about to enter a whole new world. They have so many challenges. God comes. He encourages them. He reassures them. He blesses them. Now this is a wonderful thing. One of the greatest blessings we have in life is to be blessed by God, knowing that those blessings are from God. God bless Noah. Elohim, the almighty God, bless Noah. What a blessing that is. You see, even among people, even among each other, we, we, we feel something of this. We, we say to each other, well, if you give each other a gift, the manner in which you gave it and the person from whom it is from sometimes means more than the gift itself. I have a few books in my study signed by authors and given to me by special people that, that actually mean more to me than, than the book itself because of all the personal association with that particular book. Well, you have the same thing in your life of different things that you own. Well, a child of God finds great joy in receiving also daily providential blessings from God in Christ knowing that they are in the mercy of God. Knowing that they come from the favor of God. Knowing that they are stamped with the blessing of God. If you know something is stamped with the blessing of God that fact alone if you're a believer means more to you than whatever it is that that object is. And so when God comes to Noah here this is really a wonderful thing. I must confess, when I first read these seven verses, I was, I was tempted to kind of just use them as an introduction and get on to 8, eight through 17. Because I didn't see much in them, but as I've studied them this week, I, I feel increasingly that these blessings, also in verses 1 through 7, are important. And so I want to look at them with you step by step tonight. First, life increased. Look at verses 1, if you will. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The fear of you, verse 2a also, the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth. And then notice that that's repeated in verse 7. And you be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Now, when in Hebrew, when you have something begin with something and then there's later on another verse that repeats it. Usually that's one unit. It's called an inclusive unit. Which means that we know this is one series of blessings God is giving here. Then it's followed by life sustained. In verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. And then in verses 4 through 6, we see life protected. God says that if anyone kills people... They should be killed. If they, that is in terms of, of murder. So, you've got three blessings here we, we want to look at together. Now, 
What is remarkable about this passage at the very opening is that it sounds very reminiscent of something we've looked at before, doesn't it? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That's basically word for word what God said to Adam. And yet there are major differences here. The the post-fall, post-flood world is a very different world from the Garden of Eden world. You see, the waters of the flood could not cleanse the earth, could not cleanse the human heart. And the human beings that are about to make the second world are sinful human beings. And yet the amazing thing is that God begins the same way. God blesses them and God means their welfare, though they are sinful creatures. And it is sinful creatures that God has just destroyed in the flood. And yet God is willing to start over this time with sinful men and women. What a wonder this is. What a wonder that God even goes on. What a wonder that God blesses sinners like Noah. Later on in this chapter, we'll see what a sinner Noah still was. He gets drunk. Yet God blesses him. The mighty and merciful God of heaven and of earth, you see, has a plan to cleanse man's heart. As surely as the floodwaters cover the earth, so surely is a plan whereby the floodwaters of His grace may cover the souls of men and women so that one day descendants of grace would fill the earth. Now God includes in all these blessings of redemption and of future descendants who would serve him, the blessings in Christ of daily life. Here already we have a hint, don't we? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, that God is blessing the ordinance of marriage and family. This is the command that is given to Noah and his sons. All four men who were married already, we know that, because God called them to enter the ark with their wives, and after they came out, or when they came out, we read, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife, and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee. And it's confirmed, of course, in the genealogies later. So God is saying here that the blessing of fruitfulness is a blessing that belongs to a covenantal marriage. God is reaffirming the sanctity of the marriage state, which he already did in Genesis 2. You remember we talked about that. But he's now reaffirming that, which is important, because men are now sinners, and it was sexual sin that was lying at the heart of the destruction of the first world. You remember that. The daughters of men joined themselves to the sons of God, and God was very angry. But God now comes and he reinforces the sacredness of the marriage bond and the importance of having covenant children. So the implication here is quite plain. That the only way for blessed, fruitful, covenantal fruitfulness is that a man and a woman within the holy state of marriage have children. And consecrate them to God. 
they who are blessed by God must seek to have children that God may bless the children as a covenant-keeping God and that they may bring them up in the fear, the nurture, and the admonition of the Lord and so be a blessed family. So God not only institutes marriage with all its intimacy, but from that intimacy, he wants to raise up a seed to serve him. And he commands Noah and his sons with their own wives in their own homes to seek to have children and to raise those children in the fear of God. Be fruitful and multiply. God actually is saying, have children, have, have numbers of children, fill up the earth again after my judgment. And we know that Israel obeyed that command in a wonderful way. You can, you can read that in Exodus chapter 1 verse 7. And the children of Israel were fruitful. Notice the same words are used here. And increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. So Moses is saying, they obeyed this command in Genesis 9. And God blessed them. Would you like to deepen your understanding of Reformed theology? Check out Reformed Systematic Theology, Volume 4, Church and Last Things by Dr. Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. This book will lead you to explore key scripture topics from biblical, doctrinal, experiential, and practical perspectives. Order the culmination of Dr. Beakey's life's work at heritagebooks.org rst4. So what do we have here? Well, we have an affirmation that God, the covenant-keeping God, is the giver of of covenant children. You may remember that Jacob said to Rachel when Rachel was upset with him that she had no children. Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? See, only God can give children. Some of us who know periods of our life where we couldn't have children understand that in a very real way. Hebrews 11.11 puts it this way, Through faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive. It wasn't something she had of herself. Psalm 139 puts it so beautifully, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought. The word wrought there is actually embroidered as if God is doing weaving. Curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, that is, in the womb of my mother. So a baby is something that God, as it were, I say it with reverence, weaves together, soul and body, at conception, in the womb of a mother, miraculously. It is of God that a woman conceives. It is of God that a child is formed in the womb. It is of God that there is safe delivery. And we need to remember that. Now, God may be pleased to withhold children from us. That's his prerogative, too. The Bible speaks of people who can't have children for the kingdom's sake. Or people that have to remain single for the kingdom's sake. But tonight we see 
that it is God's normal way, especially in the covenantal line, to bless his people in the marriage state with children, which Psalm 127 says, are his reward. And so what we have here is another indication early on in the Bible, which becomes more explicit later, that children are precious, God-given gifts that belong to God and are to be raised for God. They're gifts of grace. You remember when Esau, boys and girls, came to Jacob. He was so surprised to see all Jacob's crowd of crowd of people, and he said, well, who are these, Jacob? Jacob said, these are the children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Psalm 127.3 says, children are a heritage of the Lord. A heritage. You know what a heritage is? An inheritance or a heritage is something that is disposed to us Personally. So God doesn't only bless us with children as precious gifts, but our children are particularly and personally given to us. There is God's design and God's purpose in the giving of children, and we receive the exact children God has appointed for us. Well, There are many applications from this, and I simply, too many to expound tonight, but I simply want to bring them to you by way of some questions. Do we view our children as gifts from God? Do you view every single child you have as God's particular gift to you. Do you see each child as a gift to you so that you might replenish the earth with covenant children? Which, no, you can't convert, but you can bring up in the fear and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Trusting God will convert them. Do you understand that your children are more than your children? In fact, they are more God's children than your children. And do you understand why? And do you realize that when you speak lightly about having children, Or about not having children. Sometimes flippantly. Even jokingly. You are sinning. By degrading. God's miraculous. And sacred gifts. To you. And are you obeying. God's command. To replenish the earth. Verse 7 says, abundantly and multiply therein. Or are we trying to plan out our families selfishly? 
through the assistance of modern means so that everything turns out the way, just the way we want it. Now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we are all called to always strive to have as large families as possible, disregarding the health of our wives, perhaps another emergency or two. No, there can be very serious factors that are involved in this question. But we do need to ask this. Do we see our responsibility to replenish the earth with children as much as is feasibly possible? Under our circumstances. Children that belong to God's covenant, hoping and praying that one day with that covenantal blessing, those children will be a great blessing in the earth. I suppose the real question is this. What weighs the most in our minds? God's covenant and God's command to multiply or our own personal desires? And two, do we realize that when we talk degradingly about our children to other people, that we are complaining about God's gifts to us? God says, this is your gracious reward. And we whisper something to some other church person about our son or our daughter that is not very nice. Parents, would you like your children to say bad things about you to their classmates? What makes you think you have the right to say bad things about them to other adults? You see, this whole Context. This whole verse implies that God gives the increase of life. And that's a blessing we must treasure and we must treat as a, as a sacred thing. And so we must treat our children as sacred gifts of God. Thank you for listening to Doctrine for Life with Dr. Joel Beakey. If you were encouraged by this episode and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing and sharing with a friend. To enjoy more resources from the pen and pulpit of Dr. Beakey, please visit joelbeakey.org.